Claude and Debbie are our prayer team leaders. We are thankful for the work that they do. Amen? Amen. All right. Praise God. Uh, one of our visitors said we have a rocking band. <laughs> rocking band. Amen. And I agree 100%. Lift your hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence this morning. We thank you for your passion towards us. And we pray that today our passion towards you would increase. Let your word, God, touch our hearts and bring forth fruit. Bless the pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Claude. Uh, So a few years ago, um, when I first, I I lived in Los Angeles for a while. And a few years ago, when I first, when I first moved out there, I had gone to see a movie with a couple friends of mine. And we went and saw this movie, and we come out of the movie, and I see a guy on the sidewalk who's talking on the phone, and he looks familiar to me. And I look at the guy, and I'm trying to remember how I recognize him, and it suddenly hits me. I recognize this guy from the time I spent in Columbia, Missouri, uh, when I was in college there, and he, went, uh, he worked at Shakespeare's Pizza on 9th Street in Columbia, Missouri. And, and, and Shakespeare's Pizza, to those of you... Uh, who are familiar with that, uh, is, a, is a fond memory for many of us. Um, so I go up to the guy, and this is, you know, on Beverly Boulevard in, in, in Los Angeles. I go up to the guy, and I go, he's on the phone. So I didn't really want to interrupt him, but I, I was excited to have made the connection. I go up to the guy, and I go, Ninth Street, Columbia, Missouri, Shakespeare's Pizza. And the guy kind of looks at me like, wondering if he should call the police, uh, kind of a little, a little, you know, sort of giving me this, you know, this sort of hand cocked towards me. And I go, I'm thinking in my mind, you know, he doesn't recognize me, but I recognize him. Ninth Street, I say, Columbia, Missouri, Shakespeare's Pizza, you used to work there. And again, the guy is sort of, now he's backing away. Now he's sort of going, all right, you're in my space, okay? And, you know, I didn't want to, now, now it's like I really do need to let him know, right, that we really do know each other because, I, you know, I don't want him to think some freako on the street is badgering him, right? So I go, listen, man, I know you from Columbia, Missouri, not used to work at Shakespeare's Pizza on 9th Street, I, you know, and I used to go to school there. I, I recognize you. And now he's just like, like this, like, get away from me, right? And he's like walking down the street. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I, I go over and I join my friends who are standing there and I go, you know, I know I know this guy, you know, but he doesn't recognize me. My friends go, Brent, of course you know this guy. He's been in like 12 movies. That's Ben Stiller. Um, I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's how I recognize him. Um, <laughs> today, we're going to talk about a case of, of mistaken identity. We're going to talk about a passage in the scripture that I find to be fascinating. It's a passage in Luke, and it occurs right after Christ's resurrection. Um, Leading into the passage, and it's a long passage, and we're going to kind of walk through some of it. We're going to walk through the whole bit of it today. But leading up to it, I just want to set, set the scene. So the, the passage that we're going to read is on a Sunday. Two days earlier, on a Friday, Jesus was with his disciples, and he had been, you know, in the weeks and months preceding 
uh, this day, he had been preaching about the coming of the kingdom. He had been telling them about this new reign that he was establishing and that he was a part of. And they were excited to be a part of it. And they believed, his disciples believed, that what he was talking about was a socio-political overthrow of the Roman government. Because the Romans had been oppressing uh, Jerusalem and Israel for some time and had taken over that. And these disciples, Jesus' disciples, believed in their heart that what Jesus had come to do was to overthrow the Roman government and to take charge and to establish a new political arena, a new economic uh, uh, world and, and establish Israel and he would be their leader. And they came into Jerusalem with that expectation and with that anticipation And as we know, Jesus was arrested, he was tried, and he was immediately convicted and hung on a cross, crucified. This absolutely dashed the hopes of the men that were following him. This is not what they anticipated. He had... He had prophesied it. He had warned them many times. And it's sort of one of those things that, you know, you hear it, but you don't hear it because you don't want to hear it. And he had told them many times, this is going to happen. They just didn't believe it. It happened. And so we pick up this story on the Sunday after he was crucified. Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. And it says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. They uh, are, are a group of women that had, gone, that had been followers of Jesus. They went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. So these women had, it was Sunday morning. Some of the gospels say it was, it was even dark still. It was dawn. It was the very, very beginning of the day. They were taking spices to anoint his body in burial. Uh, the spices that they had prepared, and they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. Now, before they had gone to the tomb, they were asking among themselves, how are we going to find someone to roll away the tomb stone? We're not big enough to push this stone out of, the, out of the entryway. They get there. They find that it's rolled away. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, remember, they were not anticipating a risen Savior. They were anticipating to find a corpse in this tomb that they would put spices on and that they would finish the burial proceedings. That's what they were anticipating. So when they walk in there and find it empty, they're absolutely stunned. Okay? I don't know if you can imagine this, but imagine going, you're at a, you're at a, you're, you're three days, at, you know, you're at a funeral, you walk up to the casket, you open the casket, the person that's supposed to be there is not in there. All right? This would be a very startling moment. We pick up on verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, I love this question, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. This, this, This verse, this word, this line why do you seek the living among the dead? Stuck out to me as I was w- reviewing this passage. Because I think in our lives too, sometimes we are trying to find that, that, that joy, that peace, that eternal sense of comfort. We're trying to find God in finite things. We're trying to find absolute joy. We're trying to find absolute meaning in things that just don't have absolute meaning. Right? We have a friend in, in Nashville and in her early mid-20s, she went out to Nashville to pursue a, a music career. 
And she, she started making demos and got with a producer and started pursuing this, this career. And it was cool to watch the career advance. But over the years, she never quite got to that stage that she really wanted, that, that golden ring that she really wanted, that fame or whatever it is that she really, really wanted. And yet, unable to sort of see the bigger picture and say, well, that would have been a nice thing to get, she sort of turned that into almost an idol, almost a god in her life, to the point where nothing that, the only thing she talked about would be meetings with producers and hope, and maybe I'll get it, and this might be my opportunity, I'm this close, and pretty soon she gave up, you know, the opportunity for family, the opportunity for friend, real good friends, the opportunity for, you know, a, a real meaningful spiritual life, all in pursuit of something finite that she believed would bring her joy. Sadly, she's never found that thing. And even if she did, it would be even more sad because it wouldn't bring her the joy that she's hoping and anticipating. And I think the scripture here is saying, don't seek the living among the dead. Jesus is not among the dead. And those things in life that you want to bring you pure joy and and pure happiness, they're not going to be found in the finite things. Verse uh, 9 says, And returning from the tomb, the women left the tomb and they go back to the eleven. Uh, they returned from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. I like this. What's happening here is that these women went to the tomb. They saw an empty tomb. They saw these sort of a vision of these angelic beings. They run back to the eleven, Jesus's you know, 12 disciples minus Judas, and they run back to them and they say, we've seen an amazing thing. And these guys say, this is nonsense. Don't tell us that you've seen something that you haven't seen. This is idle talk. You're hysterical. Bug off, right? And I appreciate the scripture leaving this in, right? Because this is not, this is not the reaction you would think, you know, from Jesus's followers. You would think Jesus's followers would say, of course he's risen. He's triumphant. He's great, you know? They say, this is baloney. Get out of here, right? I think of the disciples. Have you ever seen uh, Deadliest Catch, that show Deadliest Catch? It's, it's a bunch of rough and tumble fishermen, you know, kind of chain-smoking, tattoos, you know, kind of filthy language. <laughs> you know, they're, they're tough guys, you know. One of, their, one of the men in that, in that show uh, died recently. And I, I can just imagine if one of the other one of the other fishermen came to this group of fishermen and said, hey, I want you to know, I was, you know, on the dock and I saw Phil Harris walking alive again. You know, the, the other men are going to go, get out of here, man. I mean, you know, get out of here. You've been drinking. You've been smoking something. Get out of here. And that's the reaction that the disciples had. They just didn't believe it. Verse 13, that very day, now this begins, this begins the, the part of the passage that I want us to focus on. That very day, two of the disciples... Uh, two of, not the twelve, but some of his other disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were, they were talking with each other about all these things, everything that had happened. Uh, it, it looks to us like perhaps the community at this point is sort of splitting up. This group of men and women had been following Jesus for three years. Now he's dead. Hopes are gone. Dreams are gone. We've been hanging out for a couple days trying to talk through it, trying to work through it. I'm going back to Emmaus. I'm going back to my fishing business. I'm going back to tax collecting. You know what? We're out. We're splitting up. They're walking back to Emmaus, talking about what had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. 
but their eyes were kept from recognizing them. This is an amazing passage. It's unclear, you know, all the, all the Bible scholars who look into this are saying, why couldn't they recognize him? Did he have his face disguised? Was it dark? Was, it, was there something about his transformed body that wouldn't allow them to recognize him? Was it something in their heart? Was it sort of a, a spiritual blindness in their own heart that wouldn't allow them to recognize him? And we're not, we're not certain, but we just know that he came, he drew near, and he started walking down the road with them. And they acknowledged him and, and kept walking with him, but they didn't know who he was. Verse 17, and he says to them, and I love, I, I think this sort of proves that Jesus has a sense of humor. He says, what is this uh, conversation you're holding with each other as you walk along here? And they stood still looking sad. They just stopped. They just stopped and just looked at him. And one of them says, Cleopas answered him and says, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? He's saying, look, man, you've got to be, you've been living under a rock. Quite literally, he, he asked. Um, uh, you've, been, you, you've, you've been living under a rock. He says, look, everybody in Jerusalem knows what's happened. There was a man who was a prophet and a great mighty worker of miracles. And we all thought he was going to, I'm getting ahead of myself on the past. We thought he was going to be the redeemer. He was brought before Pilate and he was killed. You, are you like, wh- who are you that you don't know this? All right. And he says to them, so they said, what, what, what things are you talking about? He says, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You can almost see the frustration. You know, they, this is the, they're walking along. And he said, what are you guys talking about? You know, we're talking about the things that have happened. What things? It's like, wait a second, seriously? Right? They stop and they say, they just give, they just give the rundown. All of these things happen, and we thought that he was going to be the one, would have been the, we had hoped. This is, what I like about this is we had hoped. This is the past present, right? This is the, this is the tense that you use when you say, I was, things were going one direction until a particular event happened, and now they're not going that direction anymore, right? That's when you say, like, I had hoped to get a particular job, but it turns out that they gave the job to someone else. Right? I had hoped to ask a particular person out on a date, but it turns out that that person is, is going with someone else. Right? So in this case, you're saying, we had hoped that he had been the one to redeem Israel, but he was crucified. So obviously he's not the one to have redeemed Israel. Right? The great irony is that as onlookers who are looking at it from retrospect, we go, no, it was the crucifixion actually that not only redeems Israel, but it redeems the whole world. So it's not that he was going to be something and the crucifixion ended that. It's, it was that he was going to be something and the crucifixion solidified that. Amen? So, and he says to them, and finally he starts to, to break into their, to who they are, and he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he stops and he goes, okay, listen. Didn't Micah say that your Savior would be born in Israel and would be born in Bethlehem? And they say, yeah, Micah, yeah, Micah said that. And he says, and wasn't Jesus born in, in Bethlehem? 
Yes, he was. Doesn't Isaiah say that by his stripes we'll be healed? Yeah, it says that. And wasn't he scourged just a few days ago? Yeah, you know what? You're right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and he starts going through all these scriptures and saying he's revealing to them himself throughout the scriptures, right? And, and, and so they drew near to the village. They're, they're continuing through the village, and he's explaining who he is, but he's not letting them know yet. And he says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went in to stay with them. We start to see this moment in the story where they're going, listen, this guy is saying something that's making sense to us. I'm wondering what he's talking about. He wants to go on, and, and, and we want him to stop and stay with We're going to go in here and have something to eat. Why don't you come and, and stay? We need to keep this conversation alive, right? Uh, so, so it says he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And that's the end of the passage that we'll read. We know that, we know that uh, Emmaus is seven miles to the northwest of Jerusalem. They had been walking that whole day with Jesus. They're talking to him. He's explaining who he is, right, to them, but they don't recognize him. They finally sit down. He breaks bread. He serves them. They're having communion, essentially. And suddenly, they recognize him. They see him for who he is. He disappears. And the excitement of this moment is so overwhelming to them. They, in that same hour, jump up, run the seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell everyone what they've seen. If you want to run a half marathon... You need to see Jesus now. Uh, I mean, they, they essentially ran four, went 14 miles that day. They get all the way down there. They have this moment. They run back. Then as the scripture continues to tell us, when they get back there, they find out that they're not the only ones. That other people have said, we saw him too. He was here with us too. Peter says, I saw him as well. And they are all, you know, this splintered, fractured group that's run and hidden and hiding and running. They've come back together and they're coming back together because they're all experiencing the same thing. In fact, in Corinthians, it says, when when Paul is talking about this in retrospect, he says there are like 500 people in Jerusalem that that have seen him since he was, you know, since he died and and rose again. Um, So they're all coming back together and and, and they... You know, shortly after that, we learn that he teaches them, he commissions them, he tells them that when he leaves, the Holy Spirit will come upon them, and then he ascends uh, into heaven. It's an amazing story, but I want to focus just for a few minutes today on this road to Emmaus, on this road to Emmaus, because I think that you and I and everybody else who is in any way familiar with the Christian faith can identify ourselves somewhere on this road to Emmaus. The first, the, you know, the, the, the story for me is sort of broken up into, into three acts. The first act is from hope to despair. These are men, remember, who had given the last three years of their life to following this man. They had given up their careers. They had given up their identities. Their, their, they had sacrificed time with their families. They had completely given up 
made huge sacrifices to follow him in anticipation that he was someone special. And when he died, that hope crumbled into despair. I don't know if some of you will remember this, but, but in, um, in, in 1986, on January 28, 1986, uh, children all around the world, and, and especially the United States, gathered around television screens to watch the launch of the shuttle Challenger. And I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this very clearly. I was a little kid, and we, we all got around the television screen at school, and it was a special launch because uh, uh, Christy McAuliffe, a teacher, she was going to be the first teacher launched into space. So everyone was in eager anticipation to see what was going to happen. And so, you know, all the schools, all the public schools, they put in televisions, all the kids got together, clamored together, were all watching. They do the countdown, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, launch. The, the, the shuttle takes off. It fires off into space, and everyone's watching. It's a beautiful blue sky. The, the announcers are jubilant. Everyone is thrilled and excited, and then something happens, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's a, like a flash of light, and there's a flash of smoke, and suddenly you can, you know, even when you're a little kid, you can tell everything is going wrong, right? And this, the space shuttle absolutely the challenger just just burst into a, a billion pieces exploded killing everyone inside and and a paul literally fell over the school i remember that day very clearly everyone was stunned the, the, everyone in the country was stunned what happened what happened this excitement this anticipation this hope had completely crumbled into total despair that's what and even in a, that can't even begin to describe the, the, the despair that these men were feeling at the death of their dear friend. Because death is one of those things where if you don't have the hope of resurrection, death is, is, is final. Death causes despair because you can't see beyond it. Something that's lost is lost permanently, right? But the story of the resurrection redeems that for us. But they go from hope to despair. Then, as they're going along, something happens. Jesus begins to talk to them. He begins to communicate to them, right? He begins to reveal himself to them. And the scripture says that their hearts burned within them. They didn't know what was going on, but they began to think, maybe there's some hope. Maybe there's some, something going on here that's bigger than we know, right? Maybe there's the possibility that there's something that we can touch. Maybe it's not all despair. I don't know if you remember this too, but just a couple of years ago, there was a, there was a mine in the country of Chile and there were 30, 33 miners down in this mine. It was a copper mine, gold mine. And, and the, the mine crumbled and, and, and came in on everybody. And, you know, there, was, there were 2,300 feet under the ground. There was no chance that there were survivors. No one believed that anyone survived this thing. And yet they said, well, we're, we're going to go ahead and start to try to drill down to try to find out and see if there's possibly someone that may have survived, right? So they started drilling down into the, into the ground, you know, deep, deep, deep into the ground. And when they pulled up one of their drill bits, there was a message taped to the end of the drill bit in red letters. And it says, estamos bien, which means we're okay. I mean, can you imagine... Can you imagine being 17 days down in that hole, 
thinking that the world has completely forgotten about you, thinking that there's absolutely no chance, thinking that there's no hope, and then suddenly a drill bit comes down through the, 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 the roof, and you see a little bit of light, and you go, oh, wow, there's a chance. There's a chance that there's going to be somebody coming and saving us. And imagine the, the excitement of the people on, on the ground. Sorry, this thing is just ringing just a little bit. Um, can you turn that off, Jason? Uh, imagine the people, the excitement on the ground. It's that one right there. There you go. Imagine the people that, that, that were on the ground there thinking, wow, the, the, the husbands or the wives and the children of the miners that were down there. Just that glimmer of hope. I think that's what's happening with the, 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 the disciples in this story is that there's, they don't have it for sure, but there's just a moment of a possibility of hope. I think a lot of us are right there in our lives right now. A lot of us are walking along. Maybe we are followers of Jesus. Maybe we affirm Christ, okay? Maybe we say, okay, yes, I, I believe in Jesus, right? But we don't, we don't know the power of his resurrection in our life. It's not present. It's not here. We're walking along with him. And I want to challenge you to think, to say that maybe you're walking along with him right now and you don't even know it. Maybe he's right there beside you and you haven't figured it out yet. Maybe your eyes are still covered and you're not able to see that he's right there beside you. And then finally, I think the, 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 the powerful moment in this story, I think for, for many of us, is when the third act begins where they go from hope to the reality of the resurrection. When you go from a moment of despair to the, possi- to the thin possibility that there might be hope to that revelation of Christ's resurrection in your life, let me tell you something. There is nothing more powerful. There is nothing more transformative. There is nothing that will change your life faster. And it may not be thunderbolts and, and, and trumpets, right? Some people have ecstatic you know, religious experiences where they, where, they, where they see something powerful. They experience something really powerful. That doesn't necessarily happen for all of us. In fact, these guys, you know when Jesus revealed himself to them? When they were just sitting down, talking to each other, talking about God, talking about Christ. They were breaking bread together. They were wondering. They were contemplating. They were spending time together. I think that's valuable and very important for all of us to say, look, if you really want to know the risen Savior... Just spend some time. Spend some time reading through the scriptures. Spend some time communing with other Christians. Spend some time contemplating. I don't think that we reject Christ because we think about it too much. I think we reject Christ because we haven't thought about it enough. I think the, com- the contemplative life can lead us directly into an understanding of God and to Christ. I don't think, you know, a, a lot of folks will say, well, you know, but my, intel- my intellect gets in the way of my belief in Christ. I don't, I, let, me, let me gently challenge that. Because some of the greatest and most brilliant thinkers in the world have at a certain point come to the recognition and the realization that Christ is risen and is real in their life. Amen? Romans 6, 3 through 11 tells us what the resurrection means for you and for me. It says, do you know, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we, uh, see, raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Let me tell you, I just want to, and I'm going to close with this. But the life of a Christian is a life of the resurrection. We have an opportunity to walk in a resurrected life. And what I mean by that is not that everything is perfect. Not that there'll not be any struggle. Not that there won't be heartbreak. Not that there won't be problems and challenges. But the reality of the resurrection supersedes that problem. Supersedes that challenge supersedes that obstacle so that when you suffer that loss when you feel that pain you know that there is something beyond that there is something more powerful than that the resurrection is more powerful than death and so i would encourage you today with this story by telling that you that when you are alone when you feel alone and you think like job there's no one to turn to no one that can understand your particular situation because it's unique and it's just specific to you let me encourage you by the power of this story that Jesus is right beside you when you are burdened down with perhaps issues from your past maybe there are things that you have done things that you have said that you wish you could scrub them off of the history of your life. Shame, guilt, things that you just, man, if I could just go back and change that and alter that and erase that, my life would be so much better. I would be free. Let me encourage you that Jesus is right beside you offering you forgiveness, the forgiveness of his cross, the forgiveness of his blood to cleanse you from that past. That past can be omitted completely through the power of the resurrection. When you are experiencing a loss in courage, maybe you're anxious, maybe you're nervous about the future, maybe you're not sure who you are supposed to be or what you're supposed to be, or there's something looming on the horizon with a job or with a relationship and you're worried about it and your courage is flagging, let me encourage you by saying, Jesus is right beside you. He's on the road with you. When your dreams that you have maybe had in your heart for many, many years, and because of circumstances in life, they've been snuffed out? Because, you, you know, you, know you, you got a job, or you got married, now you have kids, and now this, and suddenly these dreams that you had in your life, they seem so remote, they seem so distant, that you can't even find purpose and meaning in your life anymore. Let me just tell you, Emmaus Road tells us that Jesus is right here beside you, and he wants to imbue you with newness of life. He wants to give you that purpose, that meaning, that power in your life, right? And if your faith is, is, is low and you're just not sure, you just, you know, you used to have faith. You used to have a sense of robust energy and, and, and power and you just felt aligned with God. But over the years, you know, that's just sort of waned. Jesus is right beside you. He's absolutely right beside you. And he wants to tell you, hey, I'm right here. I'm right here. Sit down with me. Break bread with me. Learn about me. Grow in me. I'll just close with this, and I've told this before, but I, I think it's fitting. You know, I, I, my Emmaus Road was really, you know, right, right, at the, at the, right as my father was about to die. My Emmaus Road experience happened right there when he was in hospice, and he was moments, days away from dying. I was not a believer. I was not a Christian. I was highly cynical and skeptical about the church. I had grown up in it all my life. 
My dad was a pastor. His dad was a pastor. My mom's dad was a pastor. All my uncles were pastors. I had seen it all. I had heard it all. I had done it all. Thank you. No thanks. I got the t-shirt. I'm out. Right? And, you know, he's diagnosed with a terminal illness. Uh, primary amyloidosis, it's called. Uh, uh, one in a million people get it. And, you know, and it just seemed, he was a, such a good man. He was a righteous man, a, a God-loving man. And it just was one of those things. It just, it didn't make sense in my life. It just absolutely didn't make sense. And there's this, there was this sense of despair. Truly there was, because I did not have a hope in the resurrection. I had no hope in the resurrection. I, th- I thought of the world as being completely meaningless and, and, and as having really no value except that which we impute to it, which is really manufactured by us, right? And I was standing outside of his hospice in the little garden area and just, you know, there weren't trumpets. There was not an audible voice, right? But there was a, a genuine sense for the first time in 20 years that I was not alone, that there was some, someone or something with me. And it was a moment just of clarity. It was just a moment of going, I'm not alone here, right? I'm not alone in the universe. There's somebody here there's somebody that loves me. That's what the Emmaus Road is trying to teach us, is that not only is he risen, but he's walking down the road with you today. He's walking down the road of your life with you today. He wants you to recognize him. He wants you to open your eyes, turn to him, open your heart to him, and let him in. That will be for you a happy, happy day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us through your scripture about the reality of your presence in our lives. God, we just, we're grateful for this passage. We're grateful that you come to us and you pursue us. And and sometimes we don't recognize you immediately, God, but you just keep walking with us. You just keep walking with us. You keep reaching out to us. You sit down, you break bread with us, and you keep coming after us. And God, we may be slow of heart. We may be hard of heart, God. But Lord, we want you to know that that we want to open our hearts to you today. We want to crack open our hearts, crack open our minds, and just for a moment, entertain the possibility that you resurrected are walking with us today. Father, we are grateful. We praise you. We thank you. God, give us strength, give us courage, inspire us, Lord. Help us to go forth today and to spread the news that you are risen. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.